0: either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie! It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks! You sorry? <laughs> you waste all our film! It's so bad! Not quite as many titles this week. In fact, not even half. <laughs> but uh, some good stuff to talk about and some news as well. Welcome in. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we'll start with the story of a defiant teenage boy struggling with his parents' imminent divorce Facing off with a thousand-year-old witch who is living beneath the skin and posing as the woman next door. It's called the Wretched. Yep, your neighbors are creepy as fuck. You had me a thousand-year-old witch. <laughs> <laughs> Plus the poster. The poster's cool too. It's a
1: great poster, and this one starts strong. You know, it's one of those movies where you know the opening scene uh, sets up the whole movie for you, and and uh, just like a couple of quick broad strokes, a little soundtrack choices, you know, a couple of costume choices, it sets you firmly in like 1986, and it does a great job of just creeping you out, like that he does such a good job of setting up the atmosphere and the story in this opening. And unfortunately, as all often happens when the opening of a film is so strong, the rest of the film struggles to keep up. So we we kind of uh, fall pretty quickly into much too familiar territory where this teenage boy, he wants to go do something fun over the summer, but he can't. So he has he's been he's sort of grounded. They don't tell you right away what for. So he goes to this lake where he's going to work where, with his dad on the lake, so he doesn't. He just gets to look at these people having fun, and <laughs> he's not enjoying himself. And uh, there's a weird family next door, and. In the long run there are some twists and turns that at the very toward the end of the film a lot of that familiarity pays off they make it work because of a twist you don't see coming
0: you mean fam- familiarity with other movies yes. that, yeah that's that's what I thought because we talked last week you know we had the one 0.0 megahertz where it was so it, it borrowed so heavily from others but this one and, and in that case just didn't work at all if you had seen any of those movies in this case, it rises above it a little bit because just as you say it has something waiting for you
1: it does and and so i think that the fact that you're pretty sure you know what's coming all along plays into that right, right? right. and it's and it, but it does it still it gets a little bit too bogged down in sort of that Disturbia, Rear Window, Fright Night mm-hmm. kind of a
0: situation. One of those, why won't you believe me? Yeah. Believe what I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah, one of those exactly. things, huh?
1: I mean, in the long run, it's, it's perfectly enjoyable, mm-hmm. and there are some very clever moments, and there are some really good performances at, as well, but I feel like it took too long to get around to that. So the, there's a big, big chunk in the middle that can be a
0: bit of a slog. It's writers, directors, Brett and Drew T. Pierce, the Pierce Brothers. Sounds like a show on uh, on the HGTV. <laughs> but, uh, well, you know, it's, it's funny when you have such a strong beginning, like yeah. you said. Mm-hmm. That, that's good, yeah. but at the same time, uh, you got to follow hard, it up. It you know, is you hard have, to maintain it. It's like Hootie and the Blowfish sold all those copies <laughs> of that one album, and then how do you follow that up? <laughs> <laughs> right now, you're saying this is the Hootie of horror movies. They <laughs> could put that on a poster. Feel feel free to use that because uh, Hootie's back together, right? And they're doing all right. Hell if I know. How did we get on this? Uh, but but no, you make a very good point. While opening, what would you rather have? A weak opening, building up to something good, or the reverse? I I think I would rather have weak to good.
1: Yeah, I I mean. It ends well also. Mm. Well that's good. And that's strong. It's just that it could use a, it could have used a little more punch in the
0: sort of middle hour. And now here's Hootie and the Blowfish <laughs> with Letter Cry. <laughs> so it might be worth checking out that streaming on which service? Uh, uh really all of the traditional services. This is the the broader release this week. So check out the wretched if you like a good creep. Next up is the latest from a director that we really like. It's a man's obsession with his designer deerskin jacket, causing him to blow his life savings and turn to crime. The latest from Quentin DePew, Deerskin.
1: This is one that you can stream directly from gatewayfilmcenter.org.
0: If you don't immediately know the name Quentin DePew, let's run down some of his works. <laughs> and my favorite is Rubber. And if you're not familiar with Rubber, please remedy that. It's the story of a tire, like on a car, a tire that goes on a murderous rampage. Yep. And I loved it so much. <laughs>
1: he also did wrong and wrong cops but this one in a way is more basically he's just probably the top working absurdist filmmaker today and this one in a way reminds me the most of rubber because it's a one joke Mm -hmm. he sets up one joke and just executes on that joke for a feature length time and it's not just absurdist
0: it's It's existential absurdist. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This guy puts so much... It is one joke, but he puts his whole being into this deerskin jacket. So much so that if he's somewhere and he sees people talking to each other, they must be talking about my deerskin jacket. Oh, yeah. Absolutely.
1: And it's... (laughs) The crazy thing is that it's Oscar winner Jeanne dujardin from the artist yeah he's he's the the main character, Georges and <laughs> Georges drops so much money on a deerskin jacket that his wife <laughs> locks him out of her of their bank account <laughs>
0: Doesn't, in the beginning, doesn't he call it, or someone who presents it to him calls it the beast?
1: Yes. there yeah, it the, is. He just oh. buys it. He, like, buys it, you know, off of eBay or something from this old man in some French so backwater. Great. He has to drive and drive and drive to get it. And, you know, it's just this ugly, and it's ill-fitting. It's too short for him. <laughs> but it's got the fringe. It's got the tassels. Oh, my God. It's hysterical. And and partway there, you know, he's driving, he's driving, he's driving. He stops at a gas station, and he's wearing one of those sort of ill-fitting, you know, like, corduroy office cog kind mm. of blazers, which he flushes down the toilet at the... That works out pretty well. I <laughs> bet, yeah. <laughs> but then he's just ready to start his new life with his deerskin jacket. So many uh, depew flourishes where, like, just how, for example, he ends up with a matching hat. Shut up. It's it's funny in the most deadpan and, and silly
0: possible way. But at the same time, it's one of those deals, and I these types of movies, a lot of times I come back to Napoleon Dynamite. If this is not your thing you're going to hate it. Oh, yeah. Yes. As in, you're probably going to hate everything by Quentin DePew. Yeah. But if it hits your nerve the way it hits ours, oh, it's yeah. it's just delightful.
1: Oh, my God, it really
0: is. It's, it's so <laughs>
1: much fun. And, you know, for the first time, I think you mentioned a sort of existential crisis. George is clearly having a midlife crisis Mm -hmm. but the other thing this sort of parallels I think this is maybe a little bit more autobiographical than Depew's other films because the man he buys this jacket from is so taken it. he says I've never seen this much money before so he throws in this this digital camcorder
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know like the old
1: kind with little tiny cassettes and so then he fancies himself a bit of a filmmaker, and he decides he's going to make a movie about this jacket. Right. In fact, it leads to crime. That this is what leads to the crime. And then he he gets in sort of in contact with the local bartender, who is Adele Hanel from Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And so she starts to help him kind of hone his vision and his film by editing the pieces of it together. Mm-hmm. So is she seeing the genius within, or does she know he's a dumbass? And that's one of the, <laughs> the places where, because Dupuis films are so odd, it's so it's almost endearing that he's. It's almost like he's asking that question, like. Did the people that I work with see my genius, or right. is the jig up? Am I just a dumbass? It's, yeah, it's a very endearing, incredibly silly film.
0: And if, if you like this, not only would we really encourage you to check out everything else by Quentin DePew, especially Rubber, but also look up this short, and it's not by Quentin DePew, but it's called Swag, and it's about a guy whose life is transformed by buying a garish hat with the word swag <laughs> on it. And it kind of works in the same way. It's not quite as well, but I thought it was a blast. Look up that. It might be on YouTube. I don't know. I just thought of it when thinking about this film. But another winner by Quentin Depew, uh, That is Deerskin. Let's go back to Creepy next. The dead are coming back to life outside the isolated Red Crow Reserve, except for its indigenous inhabitants who are strangely immune to the zombie plague. It's called Blood Quantum. Ain't nobody immune here but us. We're supposed to be helping people. We're supposed to be surviving. Well, that was really fucked up.
1: This is a Shutter premiere from writer-director Jeff Barnaby, who is Red Crow. Uh, it's a Canadian First Nation, and this is. A great movie. Like, this is a really, really compelling movie because the first thing he does incredibly effectively is to create this allegorical nightmare, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's just basically the white people who are prey, who fall victim to, to zombieism, and then what do they do? They overrun this population of Red Crow. And that alone would be really a fascinating way to
0: kind of twist horror tropes to reimagine colonialism. But Well, not only that, but especially right now, because it makes you think, boy, what if all of a sudden one certain segment of the population was immune to coronavirus? Yeah. You know? what would How would we be reacting to the segment of that population? It, so even right now, it's even more timely.
1: Yeah, it really is. I mean, it really does resonate. And it's funny because... The whole thing made me think of a great Sherman Alexi short story, which took place. It takes place like maybe a year after a very similar idea. The apocalypse hits and only Native Americans are immune to it. Mm-hmm. But it, but in his, the characters are already in an underground lab where they're being experimented on to create a vaccine. It's really terrifying. So anyway, anyway, when you look at it, it's a terrifying idea. But I think that Barnaby uses he he bends traditional horror ideas so well. But the other thing that he does really well is that that metaphor is not everything. That's not the whole horror story. He really focuses a lot of attention on the internal conflict within this one particular family and the fact that the performances are as strong as they are. And also the 1981 setting is just spot on. (laughs) Um, And the violence is really well Done and voluminous.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, think about that. If you got a zombie movie, it's a nice, it's an interesting take on it. Mm-hmm. Gives you characters that you care about mm-hmm. with good performances and, and lots of blood. So I mean, it checks off a lot of zombie boxes.
1: It really does, and it's interesting. He does such a great job. You could tell with with minimal resources. I mean, he makes mm-hmm. a great, great use of uh, just a handful of locations. Most of them sort of creepy looking, uh, small, dark, dank. He does the most, I think, that you could on what it looks to be as a, a pretty minimal budget. And it was, it was just really impressive effort.
0: And as we said, you can check that out easily on Shudder. It's called Blood Quantum. And last up, a documentary not really new, but new to some areas. It's the portrait of the work and life of controversial film critic Pauline Kael. Her battle to achieve success and influence in the 20th century movie business called What She Said, The Art of Pauline Kael. I understood her voice, and I and I related to her voice, even when I disagreed with her. We grew up reading Pauline Kael. She seemed to notice everything. There is a sense
1: that people really don't know what they believe in anymore. She turned the movie review into this expressive vehicle. If you're good enough, then you bring something to a magazine or a newspaper, you bring it readers, and so you can hold your own judgment. If you're not good enough, then you're at the mercy of everybody, and you have to give in. And so the point would be really to develop more courage.
0: But she's probably the most qualified critic in the world because she cares about film and those that are involved in it.
1: And this is one, this is one that you can find at the Wexner Center, at wexarts.org. Mm-hmm. You can
0: stream from there. And one of those that, when you stream on their site, gives a little benefit to the Film Center, Mm -hmm. which is always a good idea. Yeah, Pauline Kael, and obviously it's going to resonate with us since we are film critics, but it's it's interesting because in the last several years since the rise of social media, film criticism has become so fragmented Mm -hmm. and so, let's be honest, ubiquitous. I mean, they're everywhere, and our hands are up, and Pauline Kael was not a part of that. But I think she still has... And she says it in this movie, the most succinct description of film criticism. She says, without it, it's, it's all just advertising. And she thought her job was to alert or interest people. And that's a good, that's a really, leave it to her, of course, sure. to, to, to cut to the bottom of it. Because people ask us our views on it all the time. And that's about as perfect of a summation as I can think of. And she got her start. This film, lets you know, if you're not really that familiar with, with her work, really before Siskel and Ebert, she was it. Oh, absolutely. She was the oh my most God, yes. famous, the most powerful, mm-hmm. most famous film critic in the country. And she kind of fell into it by accident in the 1950s. And then, because she wanted to be an artist herself, really a, a, a playwright, a writer, and just couldn't find the art in that form of writing, but found it in criticism, mm-hmm. found her voice, an incredible prose and a, and a way of speaking and a way of describing. And and uh, this the writer-director here is Rob Garver. And so you learn a lot about her. And then it's also a, a love letter to enjoying and appreciating the art of cinema, mm-hmm. which is never a bad thing. No. Uh, so you see tons of clips of movies just interspersed in. And I'll, I'll admit, sometimes they're, the placement and the movie that they pick is a little cheesy. It's <laughs> a little bit cheesy, but uh, you, you learn an awful lot about just how much power she wielded, how she could make a movie. Uh, in, in the case of Bonnie and Clyde, right. it had gotten all negative reviews until she came along. And also, she was the first major review of Last Tango in Paris. And it was so glowing that it created it alone created just lines around the block to see Last Tango in Paris. I mean, an, an
1: X-rated film yes, when it was released. Yes, an
0: incredible amount of power. And it was. It's so interesting to hear her views on criticism, her views on the movies, because she was also a populist. She she also could find so much pleasure in trash, right? Because, yeah, yeah, and and really looked down her nose at the quote unquote art house style of. Film criticism um, above it all and that sort of thing. So it's fascinating, especially if you're a movie fan and if you're a, a fan of talking about movies, discussing movies. And the great thing is you hear, you hear interviews not only with her and with her daughter and some snippets from her writing narrated sometimes by her and sometimes by other people, but you see a succession of famous faces, Alec Baldwin and David O. Russell and Woody Allen. Tarantino, Tarantino, and even when the Jerry Lewis in an old interview, even when they, she wasn't kind to them, they appreciated her viewpoint because she she knew they knew how much she cared about movies and the people making them. But at the same time, you see somebody like David Lean because she gave a negative review to Lawrence of Arabia. That's insane, and it crushed it. Cru- it actually made him, in his own words, question what he was doing. Wow. Uh, so it's 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 simply amazing. So. The only downside to it, I think, like I said, sometimes sort of the placement of the movie clips, a little bit cheesy, and you don't get a sense of maybe learning as much about her, knowing about her as much as these documentaries that you you would like them to enlighten you on the person, the motivation mm-hmm. uh, behind quite as much as, as you would like. It doesn't uh, get there quite as much, but still very enjoyable. If you're a movie fan, if you know anything about Pauline Kael, really even if you don't, because your eyes will be opened right. uh, very well, I really would recommend this documentary. and It's called What She Said, The Art of Pauline Kael. And before we get to the lobby, let's talk about a couple of the bits of news that dropped in the past week. First of all, we got an announcement from the uh, Academy. That for this year, they came back and amended this just, I think, today or yesterday, that for this year and this year only right now, streaming movies are going to be eligible for the Oscars. So that's for obvious reasons. The key point here is, is it going to be just this year?
1: Right. Well, I mean, one of the things that one of the reasons that I'm glad they did that is that independent films are still coming out, and some of them are really, really good, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're not, they don't, they can't really wait. They can't. So I would hate for them all to just be overlooked because they came out on VOD. They came direct to VOD. Of course, the the drawback is that, as far as as cinemas, their point of view is that this is going to further convince studios to release their films direct to VOD.
0: Right, right. We've... It just seems like another drip in the drip, drip, drip we've seen the last few years. We've seen Netflix get some Academy Award nominations here in the past few years, and that started a big conversation Mm -hmm. about should they be eligible. And it's just obviously the lockdown has uh, spurred this on, but it's going to be one of the many things once we come out of this. Is it going to go back to the way it was before? Uh, Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to. It
1: never really does. And it's funny because Netflix and then Amazon, of course, Amazon Prime as well, um, they still had to have a theatrical run. Right. Right. I mean, Uncut Gems had to have a theatrical run to be in contention. Yeah. Uh, And now, you know, basically, do you know how many movies that means are now eligible? Uh, You know, it's it's a lot to comb through. I mean, (laughs) if anybody knows, it's us.
0: (laughs) And also uh, the continuing the next salvo in the war between Universal and AMC Theatres. That continued this week because if you didn't know, after Universal released and had such great success with Trolls World Tour, the AMC movie chain, which is already struggling, uh, announced that they didn't like that too much, and they're not going to play Universal movies anymore, which really seemed like biting off your nose to spite your face. Yeah. It really did. Yeah. And in the last couple of days, there has been a couple. There have been a couple more announcements where Universal reacted, and the one I read was very above board. They didn't rebut in any sort of nasty, snarky way. They just said, we're just trying to provide families that are shut in with some entertainment.
1: Now, so I understand why The AMC chain is defensive, right? And lashing out. This makes perfect sense because they're drowning, right? But Disney just announced that it is going to release two of its films Mm -hmm. direct, right? Scoob and Artemis Fowl. Artemis Fowl is going to go direct to Disney+. Plus, Yeah. And... Uh, I don't hear them saying they're not playing (laughs) Disney films, because that would mean no Mulan. That would mean no Black Widow. I mean, Disney owns everything, and AMC's not going, well... So it's okay, I guess, if Disney does it, just not if Universal, because they don't have as many big powerhouses to worry about.
0: You know, and we were talking about this before we started recording here, and I'm sure this this has occurred to a lot more people. It's so... Reminiscent of the fight over Napster. Yeah. Remember when Napster came out and all oh, the the recording labels just fought tooth and nail ways to shut them down. It's not going to happen. Yeah, you and, just,
1: I mean, you know, it's the same, it's the same with the publishing industry. Yeah. Once the industry moves digital, yep. you just have to figure out how to keep up with it. You Jeannie. can't. Keep it from happening. Genie
0: is not going back in that bottle, and that's technology moving forward. That is that is will continue to affect so many industries, mm-hmm. and this is just one of them. And if, if they think they're going to stop it, they are just dead wrong. I understand their desperation. Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's dire straits for them and a lot of people.
1: You know, it's interesting. We did I did a story this week on Columbus Underground. Talk talked to the people who, uh, who run the five independent cinemas in Columbus because mm-hmm. I just wanted to see how things were going with them in the shutdown. And wh- one of the things that came out of those conversations that I thought was really heartening was that... Basically, their theory among the group is the fewer screens you have, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, You know, if you're because, you know, if you've got one, two, three screens, when you open up again, first of all, you probably have an audience that loves your theater. That's why they come to your theater instead of going to an AMC. Second of all, you probably have an audience that is used to retro films, events, beer tastings, things like that. And also, you don't have 20 screens that you have to fill with content. So that actually made me pretty happy. It's not that I have anything against AMC or or landmark, any of those. I don't. But it's the independent theaters that I love, that we love, and I was really happy, it made me happy to think that they have a good shot of still being okay when we come out of this. Yeah,
0: I I, I hope that's true. And I, I hope everybody's okay. Really I do. But I think that reaction from AMC is just such a wrong headed approach. Mm-hmm. You got to adapt and not try to stick your head in the sand and hope and just push back it's gonna go away. It's not going away. So we will see. But with that, let's go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby, let's all go to the lobby, let's all go to the lobby. And out on their typical VOD schedule, uh, the rhythm section is this week. It is Blake Lively just taking all sorts of abuse as she's (laughs) trained by Jude Law to be a CIA killer. This is latest in the killing machine, the beautiful killing machine genre. And it's director Reed Morano, who's done some Handmaid's Tale* and *Halt and Catch Fire* from TV. And there's there there are some cool segments here with some chases and some fights. There's some visual style, but there's not really there ends up there doesn't end up being a style really to call. It's own. Uh, Blake Lively is, she's game for it. She really is. And also, when you have a, it's another case of having a female director, you don't have such a leering gaze. Right. Um, which is always appreciative. It's, even when, since you have this beautiful killing machine uh, genre, even when they have that scene of the, the Red Sparrow, Doing what the red sparrow does, it's even not shot in a really overtly sexual way. Mm-hmm. So there, there are pluses here, just not a lot of them. The motivations of the characters, in fact, the biggest motivation, the biggest plot point in this movie, is Blake Lively's character getting trained as a as a hired killer. You don't. Why would Jude Law do that? Why? <laughs> It's a big never, leap. Yes, it's a big leap in It's logic. a big leap. It is a big leap. You get past that and there's some moments. Sterling K. Brown shows up, he's always good. Always welcome. But uh, boy, if you if just for a, a mediocre Thriller, mediocre action film. It'll do the job. Uh, not much else. Guns Akimbo. There's a title I love. Yeah. Just the word akimbo. Oh,
1: I love... Uh, whenever you can use the word akimbo, I, I
0: recommend that you do. And it's Daniel Radcliffe. Who I and also he love. really has Guns Akimbo. He
1: does. He does. They're bolted to his hands. And he's really the reason to see this, if you see it. I mean, he's, you know, he's just the most enjoyable actor anyway. Um, and Samara Weaving. Lovely to see her again, and she's she's almost unrecognizable because she's gay. That she's she's either shaved off her eyebrows or bleached off her eyebrows, and that just makes a face look weird. But anyway, she's also good. She's always good. She really is. And there are some funny bits. I think my expectations were too high. This is a filmmaker who made Deathgasm a few years ago, which I love. Yeah,
0: Jason Lee Hoden.
1: And I just felt like uh, the stupid was less fun <laughs> as this one went along. Yeah. The stupid in Death Chasm never stopped being fun. The stupid in this one eventually just wore me down. But the other thing is that the, the premise is not very fresh. I felt
0: like, to a certain degree, I'd seen this movie nine times. Yeah, and also, he gets pitted up. He's sort of running from the champion assassin, which yeah. is Samara Weaving. Mm-hmm. But, boy, she, her aim Once no, uh, the everybody else she kills in one shot. Strangely... Where Daniel Radcliffe, her aim gets worse. She so,
1: gets all Stormtrooper yeah, on him. she
0: does. I mean, you have to suspend disbelief, obviously, but there is some fun in it. Yeah. There really is. Yeah, there is. But it, gets, it does get a little tiresome. Uh, but they're definitely fun to be had with guns, akimbo, and probably the strongest one this week out on VOD is The Assistant.
1: This is one Christy Robb reviewed for us, and she loved it, but it is a tough watch. It's about a young woman who... Who uh, wants to break into the movie business and she takes a job, you know, a low ranking job at a studio where she does some nasty stuff like clean semen off of the couch in her boss's office. And it's it's not a comedy. That is for sure. Uh, and it's just a look at how you are little by little by little worn down by an environment so you just accept what you shouldn't accept, and eventually you've just sold your soul.
0: Yeah, and it's writer director Kitty Green, and this is her first narrative. She's only done documentaries and documentary shorts.
1: And you can feel that. I mean, there is such a such a an unsettling authenticity to this story. You can feel that she came from documentary.
0: Yeah, and it's obviously it's a very timely. Mm-hmm. The subject with some of the things that have come out and some of the convictions that have come out uh, through the entertainment industry in the last few years. So very insightful. Like you said, a tough watch, uh, but worth it. And that is the assistant. Looking ahead to next week, we've got well one that we thought was going to be out this week called Arkansas. Yeah, they pushed it back. Pushed it back. That happens sometimes. Also Z. Yeah. South Mountain and Clementine. Yeah. She'll be coming around the South Mountain when she comes. <laughs> Clementine. <laughs> So that's for next week. In the meantime, let us know what you thought about anything that you checked out this week or or your thoughts on any of the news stories with uh, the Academy's nomination announcement or with the fight between Universal and AMC. We're always glad to keep the conversation going. On the internets, the social (laughs) medias, easiest way to find us is on Twitter. It's at Wolf. M A D D W O L F, also on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website with all of our written reviews, our other horror movie only podcast called Fright Club, and a bunch of other fun stuff. You can always find that at madwolf.com. So we always appreciate you stopping by the screening room where it's nice and clean and sanitized for your protection. That's right. And if you could just take a second to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, we would appreciate it. Yeah, we hope you're doing well, staying safe, staying healthy. Until next time, she is Hope Mad. He's George Wolf. And this is The Screening Room Podcast See ya I do wish we could chat longer But I'm having an old friend for dinner Bye